no longer a weapon, but a companion, sobbed himself to sleep. The woods birds sang merrily above his head. The squirrels, whisking their bravery of tail, ran barking from tree to tree, unconscious of the pity of it. And somewhere, far away, was a strange muffled thunder, as if the partridges were drumming in celebration of nature's victory over the son of her immortal enslavers. And back at the little plantation where white men and black were hastily searching the fields and hedges in alarm, a mother's heart was breaking for her missing child. Hours passed, and then the little sleeper rose to his feet. The chill of the evening was in his limbs, the fear of the gloom in his heart. But he had rested, and he no longer wept. With some blind instinct which impelled to action, he struggled through the undergrowth about him, and came to a more open ground. On his right the brook, to the left a gentle acclivity, studded with infrequent trees over all the gathering gloom of twilight. A thin, ghostly mist rose along the water. It frightened and repelled him, instead of recrossing in the direction whence he had come, he turned his back upon it and went forward toward the dark, enclosing wood. Suddenly he saw before him a strange, moving object, which he took to be some large animal, a dog, a pig. could not name it. Perhaps it was a bear. He had seen pictures of bears, but knew of nothing to their discredit, and had vaguely wished to meet one. But something in form or movement of this object, something in the awkwardness of its approach, told him that it was not a bear, and curiosity was stayed by fear. He stood still, and as it came slowly on, gained courage every moment, for he saw that at least it had not the long menacing ears of the rabbit. Possibly his impressionable mind was half-conscious of something familiar in its shambling, awkward gait. Before it had approached near enough to resolve his doubts, he saw that it was followed by another and another. To right and to left were many more. The whole open space about him was alive with them, all moving toward the brook. They were men. They crept upon their hands and knees. They used their hands only, dragging their legs. They used their knees only, their arms hanging idle at their sides. They strove to rise to their feet, but fell prone in the attempt. They did nothing naturally, and nothing alike save only to advance foot by foot in the same direction. Singly, in pairs, and in little groups, they came on through the gloom, some halting now and again while others crept slowly past them. Then, resuming their movement, they came by dozens and by hundreds, as far on either hand as one could see in the deepening gloom they extended, and the black wood behind them appeared to be inexhaustible. The very ground seemed in motion toward the creek. Occasionally one who had paused did not again go on, but lay motionless. He was dead. Some pausing made strange gestures with their hands, erected their arms and lowered them again, clasped their heads, spread their palms upward, as men are sometimes seen to do in public prayer. Not all of this did the child note. It is what would have been noted by an elder observer. He saw little but that these were men 
yet crept like babes. Being men, they were not terrible, though unfamiliarly clad. He moved among them freely, going from one to another and peering into their faces with childish curiosity. All their faces were singularly white, and many were streaked and gouted with red. Something in this, something too, perhaps in their grotesque attitudes and movements, reminded him of the painted clown whom he had seen last summer in the circus, and he laughed as he watched them. But on and ever on they crept, these maimed and bleeding men, as heedless as he of the dramatic contrast between his laughter and their own ghastly gravity. To him it was a merry spectacle. He had seen his father's negroes creep upon their hands and knees for his amusement, had ridden them so making believe they were his horses.